0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Ever wonder about the teachings of the Church of Mormon, um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more officially called? Ever wonder how you can better relate to Mormons? How about the matter of speaking the love of Christ into the life of a Mormon? My guest tonight has written a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. Mark Karras pastors a church right in the heart of Mormon country in the great state of Utah, and he joins us now. And Mark, great to have you on the program.
2: Oh, thanks for having me
1: on, Craig. Understanding a bit about the nature of where you minister, I guess um, by the very nature of your uh, geographical location, you have to be a bit of a bit of an expert on this topic, don't you?
2: A little bit i i am actually in southern idaho just a little bit north of utah but uh, we still are in uh predominantly mormon country so yeah that's our culture so
1: there have been so many books written on this topic but you've kind of taken a decidedly different angle to this haven't you
2: yes uh, there are a lot of uh books out there and i think a lot of the books um end up trying to get christians to debate mormonism with mormons and our approach is more to try to find their stress points where more the religion of mormonism is actually putting stress in their lives and then witnessing christ to those stress points
1: Help us understand some basics here. First off, I think oftentimes we try to get into a major debate over Scripture, things of that sort. And um, as much as I've learned from your book that Mormons are not as versed with the Book of Mormon, for example, as most uh, Christians, I think, would expect them to be, uh, we also know certainly that there is a – Um, A bit of a challenge sometimes in terms of uh, linguistics here and the language that we use and what we mean by a a certain phrase or a certain word is not exactly what they mean. I mean, for example, I would imagine that if most Christians went up to the average Mormon friend of theirs and said, well, you know, I believe Jesus Christ is the only begotten son, that he's uh, a deity, and uh, that um, through his work on the cross I'm saved, uh, most Mormons would agree with that statement, wouldn't they?
2: Oh, they sure would. And, and, you know, that's frustrating because many Christians know that they don't believe the same thing, but it's sometimes also frustrating from the LDS or the Mormon perspective. And, and the problem is, uh, when we are using the same words but defining them differently, we end up talking past each other. Uh, just one quick example, that word salvation, um, in Mormonism, it has various meanings, but most Mormons, when they hear that word salvation, equate it to physical resurrection. In the sense that what Jesus did is he conquered, you know, physical death. But then where they end up in eternity will depend on a lot, a lot on their own obedience. the The Book of Mormon passage that is quoted the most often is uh, Second Nephi, where it says, "By grace you are saved, after all you can do." Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about that, if you're sincere about that, I don't know about you, but, you know, going to bed at night and saying, did I do absolutely everything I could do today? I could never answer that. Well, and I
1: think of that in light of um, passages like uh, Ephesians 2 8 and 9, um, where distinctly we are told that this gift of salvation is one entirely uh, by grace through salvation. I'm sorry, uh, through faith and not by works. And yet suddenly, I mean, i got to tell you right now, uh, Pastor Cares, if my salvation was wholly dependent upon my good works, um, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble.
2: Um, yeah, me too. I'll be right with you. And, and and you know, that's the message we're trying to get out to the LDS um, is that uh, they don't have to carry this big burden of trying to, to earn their salvation. Um, They do talk, you know, Mormonism does talk about grace, like in that passage, but really, as Paul says in Romans 11, if you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace.
1: Help us understand uh, how we can sort of establish common ground. I mean, for example, uh, we know that there are multiple books that provide a source of teaching to Mormons that is distinct and very different from, well, certainly evangelical Christians in that... Uh, there is the Book of Mormon. There is the Pearl of Great Price. There is doctrines and covenants, um, and, and they also, to a degree, embrace um, canon scripture. But um, they see it in a different light. I would imagine, considering the fact that so much of the the teachings that we see of the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, and doctrines and covenants contradict canon scripture. So, what's what's the thought here? Where, what role, or in terms of the, the hierarchical acceptance of the authority of of Scripture that we know, again, canon Scripture versus the Mormon Scripture. Where does that fit in?
2: Well, the the LDS Church uh, accepts the Bible, and a lot of uh, Christians are, uh, they don't understand that. uh, LDS Church has not changed the translation of the Bible, the one that they use. They use the King James Version, but with a caveat, insofar as it's been translated correctly. And what they really mean by that is They believe that in the transmission of many plain and precious truths, as the Book of Mormon says, many plain and precious truths have been lost from Scripture. So they can immediately
1: then discount any apparent controversy or contradiction, rather, uh, between Mormon teachings and um, canon Scripture by simply saying that, yes, it is true insofar as it has been translated accurately.
0: Yeah,
2: correct, and that's why they call their gospel the restored gospel, because they you know, they sincerely believe that it was uh, something that was lost, and now it's been restored.
1: What kind of weight or authority does the Book of Mormon itself play within Mormonism? And I, and I ask that question. We know that they subtitle it as a, the Other Testament of Jesus Christ. Um, And many of us that are around the periphery are familiar with some of the history. We know about uh, the angel Moroni. We know about the translation of all of these gold plates, Joseph Smith finding the plates. Eventually, these plates managed to conveniently get taken back up into heaven, so none of the original source content is is available as a point of comparison. But when we talk about the Book of Mormon itself against other um, Mormon writings, such as the Pearl of Great Price or Doctrines and Covenants, how— How authoritative is it?
2: Um, they, They highly respect it, and they look at it as authority. The interesting thing from a non-Mormon perspective, from a Christian's perspective, is that the Book of Mormon really doesn't teach that many doctrines of Mormonism.
1: And really more of a historical account, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it's a historical, uh, supposed historical account of what happened with the early um, American, uh, Native Americans, and they believe that they came from Israel, and they were Jews, and so forth. Really, the Mormon doctrine is really taught mainly in doctrines and covenants, that other
1: scripture that you mentioned. So that being- the case then, maybe that helps us understand why there's a comfort level that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has in distributing copies of the Book of Mormon um, uh, to people outside of the Church, because it really doesn't reveal the depth of many of the doctrines that we're going to talk about today. And so as a result, it's perhaps less uh, less threatening to the Church. Is that a fair comparison?
2: I would say that's a real fair comparison. I always say what it does do when they introduce the Book of Mormon, it introduces the idea of additional revelation and plants that seed. And I think that's where they really uh, make, in a sense, a smart use of it, if you want to put it that
1: way. And additional revelations. And then, too, that brings us to an important point here that we want to make at the very get-go of our conversation today. And that is, unlike the sense that we have within revealed truth of Scripture, within mainline Christendom, you know, the notion of uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and forever in heaven is his word settled, that there is not a lot of change or shifting going on within core doctrine of the teachings of Christianity. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't aspects of different branches of Christendom, different um, doctrines, I'm sorry, denominations within Christendom that might view different issues differently, but there's generally speaking not a lot of shifting going on when it comes to the fundamental teachings of um, uh, canonical Christian teaching. However, that is not the case when it comes to Mormonism, is it?
2: In theory it is not. They believe in progressive revelation. Um, They don't change their core teachings that much, but they do a lot of changes cosmetically, and there's always that potential of uh, having a major change coming from the living prophet who is really the president of a, of the LDS church, they believe that he gets direct revelation from God to guide the church.
1: If you've just joined our conversation, Pastor Mark Kerr is on the line with us today. He's author of a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons, Brand new book, by the way, available through Amazon. You can check it out online at Amazon.com. Also through Truth in Love Ministries. The easy way to go there is simply T-I-L-M dot O-R-G. Think Truth in Love Ministries dot O-R-G. We've got a brief time out. Come back to more of our conversation with Pastor Mark Cares, a look at speaking the truth in love to Mormons. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation. With us today is author and pastor Mark the book, Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. We're talking a bit about the differences between some of the fundamental core, the pillars of faith, so to speak, between traditional, canonical scripture, Christianity, and the teachings of the Latter-day Saints Church, or Mormons. Uh, You know, we think about where we're headed. Certainly, as Christians... Pastor Cares, uh, we have the goal in mind toward heaven, and um, we are uh, in the service of Jesus, and we go about our way living out our life, running the good race, as Paul said, um, and, of course, someday going on to our reward in heaven. Um, that's something that we look forward to. We look forward to being reunited with loved ones who were in Christ that passed before us. Uh, but there's no other real specific goal generally in mind when it relates to heaven. Um, that's a little bit different, though, in, in the, the teaching of Mormonism, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. Uh, Mormonism does teach uh, actually three different kingdoms in heaven. And the highest kingdom, and all of these kingdoms depend on your worthiness, but the highest kingdom is called the celestial kingdom, and the highest level of that kingdom is called exaltation. And exaltation, according to doctrines and covenants, again, uh, in, according to their scripture, means that they can become gods. Uh, it, it says that they pass by the angels and they will have all power and they become gods. Now, many LDS people today downplay that somewhat. And they say, "Well, we just want to become like God." But if, you know, if you analyze that, you know, what's really the difference? But Mormonism itself teaches that they can become a god. In fact, there's a saying in Mormonism It used to be quite popular, but it's still heard today. I still see it in their official manuals. It says, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. And that's really their goal.
1: Now, i got to stop you there for a minute because um, certainly, you know, there was debate we saw amongst the apostles who would be seated at the right hand of jesus right um we understand uh that desire to want to be um, intimate with god um but the notion of having the power of god um or the knowledge of god that certainly created some problems in the in the garden uh but the notion of becoming um not god-like in the sense of of his character and all that it is that you know. I mean, who doesn't want to become more Christ-like, right? We understand Jesus to be both God and man, so I guess we could argue that we're trying to become God-like in in the sense of our character and our and our thinking and our and our, our our manner of living out our lives. That doesn't, for a moment, though, suggest that we want to be have the same attributes of God. That includes the power to create. Uh, so we're talking here. I mean, out of out of what portion of of um, the Book of Mormon. Uh, does Mormon teaching extrapolate that you can become not like God, but a little God?
2: Well, it, it's, um, it's actually, again, from Doctrines and Covenants. And, and really what it does, it goes back to their belief that before we came to this earth, we lived, we all were spirit children in the preexistence between, you know, of Heavenly Father and Mother. And, and And really what they're saying there is that we are from God's nature, we have divine potential. You know, Mormonism likes to talk a lot about their eternal or their divine potential. Um, In Mormonism, you know, they really truly believe that, you know, we are truly children of God, um, you know, because we were spiritually begotten by Heavenly Father, and therefore we're of the same material. You know as he is and, and so it goes back to that and that's why it's so hard for many uh, lds people to see really the seriousness of their sin and that is so important because as we well know if people don't see the problem they're in they don't see if a person is drowning but they don't realize it they don't call for help and many Mormons feel like they're carrying this heavy burden, but it's a manageable burden because of who they are. That They <laughs> they used to be calling themselves, uh, and again, you don't see this phrase very much, but gods in embryo.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, take us through some of the, the core issues here, because, for example, uh, we would go back to the beginning of man's appearance on Earth, the account that we see of the fall of the garden, um, in the biblical account, we certainly see that, that once man has eaten of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he he suddenly becomes aware of his nakedness. Uh, the Bible refers to it as the shame uh, that man experiences at that moment. And yet, in the Mormon account, it's very different, isn't it?
2: it it's very different. and And Almost everything, when you take almost any Bible teaching and kind of turn 180 degrees, a lot of times you might get to the Mormon view. Uh, and this is, again, for this one this is from the Book of Mormon, but uh, they teach that the fall was a blessing. And to understand this, you have to um, get into their mindset a little bit. A big teaching in Mormonism is a teaching called agency, basically uh, the ability to choose the right uh, and so forth. And the way they teach the fall is that God gave his chosen spirits, Adam and Eve, two conflicting commands. One command was to not eat of the tree. The other command was to be fruitful and multiply, to have children. Um, and these were conflicting conflicting commands according to mormonism because they add to the definition of mortal and this gets a little complicated but they add to the definition of mortal the ability to have children therefore they say adam and eve could not have children until they became mortal and therefore uh they had to make a decision should we become mortal or should we uh, not you know not eat of a tree and then we can't have children and they made the right choice so that they could have children, and thus we could all progress to become
1: God. That's another example there of um, the, they accept um, canon scripture uh, in the Bible as far as it's translated correctly, because obviously obviously, the picture of the account that we see in the garden is uh, very different in the way that it's taught from a, um, a Christian scriptural perspective. I mean, we, we suddenly see this major paradigm shift taking place then within the teaching of Mormonism concerning sin, um, the atonement, salvation, sanctification, grace, these all become very problematic.
2: Yes, they do, and that's where that's where again the frustration comes in and that's why we need to understand where they're coming from and their definitions. And again, especially the burdens that they're carrying so that we can speak to them and not pass them so that we can bring the wonderful message of the Bible to them.
1: Send some time talking specifically about how to go about doing that and kind of getting into their heads, so to speak, as we share scripture. Um, if you've joined the conversation a bit late, Pastor Mark Cares is with us today. Um, he has written a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. Um, Ron Rhodes, who's been a frequent guest on this program down through the years, heartily endorses the book, um, as does uh, Don Matsat from Issues Etc. Program was here on KFAX for many, many years. So we thought we'd spend some time today kind of learning more about the teaching and, and most importantly, how to go about sharing our faith or Essentially speaking the truth in love to Mormons. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Spending some time on this edition of the program with Pastor Mark Cares. He's the author of a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. And as we're learning, uh, there are major differences when it comes to the foundational teachings of historical Christianity, um, certainly evangelical Christianity, and now beginning to understand different mindset when it comes to matters that we're familiar with, uh, sin, salvation, sanctification, uh, being saved by grace as we see uh, within Ephesians 2. Now it comes down to how do we go about relating to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and toward that end, one of the points that you make early on in the book, and I think maybe it's a good starting point here, Pastor cares and that is to understand that Mormonism just, it isn't simply a religion, is it? It really is a culture in and of itself. Oh,
2: it sure is. And and that's especially like in the Intermountain w- West where I live. is. Very, very predominant. But wherever uh, LDS people live, uh, they're they're joining much more than a religion. They're members of a culture. Uh, uh, Their entire lives are often just wrapped up in the church.
1: All right. Let's begin with some points at which we can find common ground. Uh, You know, unfortunately, there are some Christians that like to be able to get into a biblical debate and want to you know sort of fire uh, doctrinal barbs. uh, Across the bow, as an effort to try and, and convince a Mormon of the differences between the uh, the two belief systems, I would suspect, though, at the end of the day, that's not going to be all that successful.
2: No, um, too often I think uh, we are trying to win the battle and not win the person, and our our uh, we're trying to win the person, then, and that means that common ground that you're talking about, and. A big a switch came in my thinking as I've been trying to do this is when uh, I used to uh, you know, talk to the Mormons about the things that bothered me about Mormonism. And we might get into debate, but they were kind of wrong way. But when I started to talk about the things that they were exper- ex- experiencing stress over, like being forgiven and so forth... It was like they came to me i can still remember many lds people coming after me and asking me more questions and when that started to happen i realized oh this is a common ground and the common ground are the stresses that they are experiencing just let me give you a a, just one example uh uh, it comes in many ways but the mormonism talks a lot about repentance and that sounds good to us as christians but what we have to realize is that The way they define repentance is a very painful process and a very long process. And one of the steps in their repentance is the abandonment or the forsaking of sin. And this is how one local leader explained it to me. He says, Mark, it was like this. If I took the Lord's name in vain when I was 17 and I repented of it, God forgave me. But maybe when I was in my 20s, I took God's name in vain again. That means I wasn't truly repentant because I repeated the sin, and thus I wasn't forgiven even for the first sin because I wasn't truly repentant. Um, forgiveness is something that uh, is very hard to come by in the Mormon church. There, there was a classic book written a number of years ago, but you know it's a classic in Mormonism. And this is a quote from that book. It says, it depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks. It could be years. It could be centuries before that happy day when you have a positive assurance that the lord has forgiven you that depends on your efforts your humility your sincerity
1: well i mean that puts the whole core message of salvation um through faith by grace entirely on its head because what you're telling me then is that if i if i sin i repent of that sin and then weeks months years later i stumble again and i sin a second time in that same arena Uh, you're suggesting that, well, uh, therefore, obviously, that that repentance didn't take, so to speak. Um, It almost sounds as if this is based entirely on the goal of trying to attain perfection in life.
2: Yes, it it really is. And one of the passages that is quoted quite often in Mormonism, even today, is Matthew 5.48. Be ye perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect.
1: All right, I understand that, but let me interrupt. What do we do with passages of Scripture where Paul tells us about, you know, the struggle to die daily to the flesh right, and right. Uh, the fact that, the, you know, the Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. I mean, there, there are a multiplicity oh, of yeah. indicators that, that show that even, I mean, even while Jesus himself, of course, as we understand, never succumbed to right. temptation, we know that even he himself was tempted. So. I don't under, quite understand here, then, from a theological standpoint, upon what they base this belief that if you if you've sinned once and you repent and you do it again in the same category, you've you've clearly not received forgiveness at all. I mean, talk about a monumental burden to carry your entire life.
2: You, you, yes, yes, it is, and and they take that be perfect, where God, you know, basically, you know, as Paul says in Romans, one of the ways we see our sin, our you know, through the law, through the commandments, we become conscious of sin. Uh, they take that command where God is t- t- asking us to cry, Uncle, I need help, and they make it become perfect, and that means, Oh, you can work on it. It won't be easy, but it's possible. And if we can understand that burden, and then we can bring the wonderful gospel message that um, the Bible says, and And one of the passages we love to use with LDS people is Hebrews 10, verse 14, where the writer says, By one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That that one offering of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, we are perfect. We are perfected by that one offering. Uh, It's interesting. uh, We go down to Utah and do mission campaigns, and once in a while we wear t shirts that say, I'm perfect in Christ. Ask me how. (laughs) You won't won't understand, uh, believe how many people stop us and say, tell me how.
1: (laughs) If you've just joined our conversation, um, again, we're visiting today with Pastor Mark Cares, a look at speaking the truth in love to Mormons. So touching this issue here, Pastor, on relieving the stress to try and, and live out a perfect life, again, not to say that we shouldn't try to to hide scripture in our heart that we would not sin against him i mean certainly we want to we want to work in that direction uh but we also have to understand too that this is this is a process and uh and toward that end how do you go about addressing this or 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 sharing this truth with mormons
2: the the way we do it is we we really encourage christians first of all that they have to be sure of, of their own salvation in the sense that Uh, One of the things that is almost like a magnet attracting LDS people is when we can say with great confidence and great joy, I know right now I am worthy before God. I am forgiven, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Even the tagline of our ministry is, is sharing Christ's work with Mormons. Because they put so much emphasis on their work that we just want to put the whole spotlight on the wonderful work of christ's substitutionary work um, l d s people when they think of of Jesus and as a as a, as Jesus has talked about in the l d s church, they often see him as an example, not so much as a substitute, but an example and again, if you just think about that, those are pretty big shoes to follow. <laughs> And what we're trying to do there, then, is just really pointing out that Jesus did it for you, that substitutionary idea. And again, when we go down to um, uh, Utah and we go door to door and try to spread this message, uh, some people respond with tears of joy when they hear this message for the first time in
3: their life.
1: Let's get to some calls. We're going to go to Daniel in Oakland. Daniel, come on in with your comment or question for Pastor Mark Cares.
3: Yeah, um, I I just wanted to say that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to teach somebody if you don't have the truth yourself, you know? So error pretty much begets error, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in order for them to see the truth, they have to be willing to actually open the Bible up and read the Bible in its context. And the, the biggest thing, the biggest error that most people do, is they take Scripture out of context, and then they go and they take it upon themselves to interpret the New Testament, when the New Testament is actually the interpretation of the Old. So in order to understand what the New is talking about, you have to read in context and find out where that's being explained at in the Old, you know, in context.
1: Well, I certainly agree with you on that point, but I have to wonder, for, for Pastor Mark, I mean, in, in terms of sharing with a Mormon, because so much of their focal point is on the teachings that they have derived from the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants, even though they embrace the Book of Mormon itself, they embrace the Bible itself, quote-unquote, as far as it is translated correctly— Uh, What about this issue? Uh, Do we interject Scripture into the conversation early on? Uh, And I know some people say that absolutely we need to do that, but how do we do that in a contextualized format, as the caller is suggesting, that, uh, that will draw them into the conversation as opposed to make them defensive?
2: Yes, uh, and one of the, one of the blessings in a way, uh, the LDS Church in the last 15 years, and probably many of your listeners realize this, have tried to be more Christian. They come off as Christian. The one blessing for Christians is that, is that now many Mormons don't just totally reject the Bible because that's not what Christians do. So, so they are actually uh, less inclined to reject it, so they are more open to, to reading it. Uh, what, the way we do it is we believe, you know, Romans 1.16, uh, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we think it's essential to get God's power to them, God's Word to them. But I think instead of... Um, what we have to do is give it in small doses and if I have an ongoing relationship with a LDS like a neighbor or a family member or something uh, taking small doses and and studying it in context is a wonderful way to doing it and there are many LDS people who are willing to do that again if you come off not attacking but you're coming off with love you know uh, loving them being sincerely concerned for them Uh, If you have this ongoing relationship with them, they are willing many times to sit down and go through the Bible, but you have to go slowly because of the definitions.
1: A brief timeout back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation. Mark Cares, our guest today. Pastor Cares, author of Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. I'm curious, Pastor Cares, in terms of equipping Mormons to answer objections that are tossed at them by um, Christians, um, are they trained to respond much the way, say, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses are?
2: Uh, sometimes they are. It was it was interesting, just one of my friends who used to be an LDS missionary just uh, emailed me about a week or so ago, and he said, yeah, when Christians brought out, when he was on his mission, they brought out Ephesians 2, he said we would block it with James 2, and, and they wouldn't know what to do um, James 2, of course, <laughs> Faith Without Works is dead. Yes, path. yes. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I would say, because especially so many of them have been on their mission, right now there's 83,000 LDS missionaries out there. Um, and so they get that training over those two years of the common objections And that's really one of the reasons why, like, Ephesians 2, although it's a beautiful passage, it's one that they kind of are used to, and, and but like a Hebrews 10 passage they'd never heard before. So that's a little bit of a strategy there, too.
1: Help us think through this process, then. As you've mentioned, it's oftentimes addressing some of the the soft spots, the tender spots in their faith that they internally struggle with. Uh, this issue of, of the ongoing battle against sin is one of them. What else?
2: Well, you know, a lot, a lot goes in there. I, I think the other thing is just the, there's... There's a lot of peer pressure in Mormonism. If you look at most LDS churches, there's not really support groups per se. Um, they, it's, In a sense, in Mormonism, it's kind of every man for themselves. And uh, if you're not strong enough, too bad. So another one of those pressures, is, is unbelievable as unbelievable it might seem, from their outward appearance, is loneliness. Um, when, when an LDS person is struggling... And if a Christian is again showing genuine concern for them, um, often they will go to the Christian for help rather than to an LDS person. As striking as it might seem to you, I am a pastor. I've had LDS bishops come to me for counseling.
1: It it strikes me as a as a religion that is terribly competitive too, isn't it?
2: Oh, there is a, such a success. Uh, uh, culture syndrome in Mormonism. is very competitive, and it's not just in the religious uh, area either. Uh, in Mormonism, uh, it, it's a work religion, you know, the beehive state. Utah is a beehive state, busy as bees, but that's in all areas of life. Uh, that's why, for example, I think uh, a lot of LDS people make excellent employees and so forth because they're always striving for excellence in all areas
0: of life.
1: And, of course, that's one of the stalwart positive sides of the teaching of this uh, faith. The problem, of course, is that at the end of the day, um, it, it falls shir- short of, of the five fundamental pillars of Christianity, and, and, and therefore, then, the, the fact that this sense of kind of trying to struggle for, strive for their salvation um, is one that would seem to be of all the areas that there is a, quote-unquote, weakness, this is probably the penultimate.
2: Yeah, this is the ultimate, again, in our area, but all over, there's there's many people who are inactive Mormons. Uh, they, sometimes they're cultural Mormons, sometimes they're, they're, they're members of the church but really are not active. And there's various reasons why they become inactive, but one big reason is that they just looked at it and they said, this is an impossible religion to live. I just can't keep all these rules. I can't do it. And they give up. And, and I think the tragedy is that so few of them have ever really heard the message of Christianity.
1: Um, Let's talk about that for a minute. If you had to distill it down to a handful of sort of primary keys to keep in the back of the mind of any Christian who wants to share and love on a Mormon, what would you say are some of the the top priorities that ought to be on that list?
2: I would say the top priorities, first of all, uh, show them genuine love, Um, you know, we have Mormon missionaries who, who we have witnessed to, and they come back even after they're at, off their mission because they, they realize these are people who cared for them. So first of all, we got to put this loving face on Christianity um, that many times LDS people don't get from Christians. Put that loving face on, but then have honest discussions about sin and salvation. And part of that is really being totally open about, yes, uh, my sin, in a sense, I, I, I'm failing all the time, but thank God that Jesus did it for me, that even when I commit that sin again, when I repeat that sin, I have the assurance because of Jesus' blood that I'm forgiven. If we can, if we can uh, exude to them our confidence and our joy in Christ, like I said before, that's, that's like a magnet uh, uh, attracting Mormon people to us.
1: The book, Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons, and again, available through The Usual Suspects as well as through Amazon.com. You can also get more information directly through Pastor Care's website at TILM. Think of Truth in Love Ministries, TILM.org